0: Dot com. Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com, sick to fit and well Start health. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live an active and aware life. Today's guest is a three-peat. It is Dr. Milton Mills, and this time we're tackling a topic that is a little bit hard to talk about, and it is about racism, and specifically racism in the plant-based and vegan community. Now, I urge you to go to the show notes because I wrote um, a pretty long essay about this, in the show notes, which is plantyourself.com slash 357. And I want to recapitulate all of that here, but just to say that the topic came up because Dr. Mills and I, uh, along with Helene Ann Greenberg, Corin Sutton and Josh Lajani were on a panel on racism in August at the Triangle VegFest. And specifically we were looking at racism in the vegan and plant-based communities, not so much as You know, the kind of racism that we think about and we're actually, unfortunately, seeing a lot more of this overt um, anti-black, anti-immigrant, anti-Mexican sentiment, but a subtler thing, a more systemic thing that most of us simply are not aware of in our own psyche, in our own lives. I've included a link to the YouTube of that conversation, that panel discussion in the show notes. Again, plantyourself.com slash 357. And after that, a month later, I went to a vegan conference and I saw someone there whom I've known for a while, a, a policy bigwig and political sort of activist. And I mentioned that I had seen Dr. Mills give testimony before the USDA Nutritional Guidelines um, Committee, and he knocked it out of the park and he was furious. He was angry about the inherent racism in the guidelines that encourage every American to drink milk, regardless of the fact that most non-whites are lactose intolerant, regardless of the fact that African-American women are genetically protected from osteoporosis. So there's no need for them to consume milk products in the first place. And he pointed out, I thought incredibly bravely, that all 13 members of the committee who were sitting in front of him were white. And that kind of explained why no one was taking these issues into account. That explained the racism that was inherent in these guidelines. And I mentioned it to this person who then promptly snapped back that Dr. Mills had hurt the movement, that he was too angry and that it wasn't effective. And I was too shocked to speak. And the person then went down the escalator and I didn't uh, recover myself in time to To advocate for my beliefs. So I think this conversation is is partly me making up for uh, that lost opportunity. And I want to talk to us. I want to talk to myself because I have a ton of racism in me. I have a ton of sexism, a ton of homophobia, transphobia, uh, disability phobia. I have every ism that society has implanted in any of us because it was implanted in me too. I didn't choose it. I didn't go and look at a menu when I was a fetus and say, yeah, I'd like to have all of these uh, repulsive beliefs instilled in me. But they were nonetheless. And I came from a very liberal family. I have a photograph of my father shaking hands with Martin Luther King Jr. at a, a union event. I was brought up to believe that all people are equal. And in spite of that, I am racist. I'm sexist. I have these unexamined beliefs that until I really hold them up to the light, I do damage. As an example, when I was watching the video of Dr. Mills giving his testimony, I was looking at the 13 members of the panel and I was not thinking, oh my God, they're all white. I was thinking, well, this looks normal. And only when Dr. Mills pointed it out, did I see it. So I'm not holding myself up as better than, different than. I'm just starting to do the work. And I'm so grateful that Dr. Mills has become an ally of mine in my own growth and my own development, in helping me achieve my own potential. And so this conversation is an attempt to broaden the discussion so that others like me can benefit. So, we talk about the Michael Vick rehabilitation scandal, where vegans are unwilling to forgive this big black man who did unspeakable things with dogs, and yet we're so happy to forgive ourselves for our contribution to the cruelty of meat eating. And Dr. Mills points out the tropes about black people, about big, violent, angry black men that permeate this discussion and color it, if you will, and how hard it is for white people to be in the presence of strong, negative emotions from black people. And he points out that there's an entire book about this called White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. So I encourage everyone who's listening to this who considers themselves white to take a deep breath, be thoughtful be humble, and see where truth lands. And I want to thank Dr. Mills and all of the other allies of color, people of color who have been allies on my own journey of growth and discovery and awakening. And my wish is that we can all come together in this movement, not colorblind, but in solidarity. Remember that the vegan Movement is about harm reduction and about compassion and kindness for all and we need to keep opening our eyes wider and wider to get that kind of inclusionary outlook into our movement. So before we jump into the conversation two quick things one this is the last podcast of 2019 which means a new decade is soon to be upon us and if you would like to make this the healthy decade in your life and you'd like some help Check out plantyourself.com slash laser, L-A-S-E-R, for a year of my laser coaching. It will help you break with the past if the past included all the habits and behaviors that are at odds, in conflict with your goals, values, and priorities. It's crazy affordable. plantyourself.com slash laser. I would love to work with you in 2020 if you are so inclined. Second thing is we are... About halfway full now to, with the NOLA Retreat, the New Orleans Josh Howey Sick to Fit Retreat. You can find out more about that at sick to Fit slash NOLA. Yes, we have Sick to Fit, the real domain, S-I-C-K-T-O-F-I-T. You don't have to type the number two in anymore. sicktofit.com slash N-O-L-A. It's March 5th through 8th, 2020, and it will be amazing. All right, let's get to today's episode. Without further ado... Dr. Milton Mills, welcome back to the Plant Yourself Podcast.
1: Hey, it's good to be back. Uh, always great to be here.
0: And I feel like I've been monopolizing you. We've had lots of private conversations that I have found very challenging, enlightening, um, insightful, helpful, and I would love to share them with with my listeners, with the world. And... Um, I guess the, the big the big issue that we want to talk about is like we were on a panel at the Triangle Veg Fest uh, in the in the in the fall on uh, racism, and right. so why is like why are we talking about this? Why is racism an issue like in the vegan plant based community? Sure. Well, it's an issue,
1: Howard, because it's an issue in the country. I mean. Racism is America's original sin. And it's um, because it it is it's been here since the foundation of the country. And in a lot of ways, the nation uh, built its philosophy and uh, its institutions around um, and to support racism and and. And it's such a part of American culture that um, <clears throat> most uh, people particularly, especially most white Americans, just are, um, are completely unaware of, of, of how much it has become um, uh, a part of their sort of um, training outlook, um, the way they've been taught to view the world and um and it's important because it 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 holds us back as as a nation as a country um it um and it it's important within the vegan community because <clears throat> excuse me it um it i think is in a lot of ways um uh Affecting the vegan community in a negative way and um, and not allowing the message to uh, spread as broadly and perhaps as rapidly as it could and it should. Uh, um, I mean, it you know, this is this is just such a huge topic. But I, I mean, when I when I look at our current political situation, they there. I mean it is this is not the topic for this conversation mind you but um arguably we are dealing with uh, uh a president who is only in office because of really unaddressed white racism and and their re- and its reaction to um our having had an African American president and unfortunately you know someone was put in office who is literally endangering our democracy but as i said that's a, that's a, uh, an entirely uh different conversation and and not one we can have today but um uh for the last week i have been um engaged in um uh, very intense very um emotionally uh fraught um discussions around surrounding um Michael Vick and his history of 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 dog fighting and mm-hmm.
0: and um, just for for people who may not know who he is or because you know he he made news about over a decade ago I think can you just tell us right. give give us the you know the the cliff notes on Michael Vick
1: Well uh, that Michael Vick was uh um um I I don't I don't even remember which um um uh, football team he was the quarterback for, it, but he was a very, very uh, um, prominent and talented quarterback for um, one of the NFL teams. Uh, but it was discovered that he was running a um, very, very abusive and, and uh, in many ways cruel dog fighting ring um, on some property he had, I think, in uh, North Carolina. And, um, and many of the dogs had been treated very, very badly, very cruelly, very abusively. And um, when it was discovered, um, uh, he actually was uh, um, convicted of some crimes and, and actually had to spend 18 months in jail. Uh, it severely damaged and set back his uh, NFL career. He lost years from his career and millions of dollars. Um, and since being released from prison, he has in fact actually, um, worked, um, with a variety of, with several different groups to, um, actively campaign against, um, dog fighting and, um, and to try and educate people as to the, the, uh, uh, just, you know, how, um, um, uh, in a- i guess cruel and inappropriate uh, a practice it is um but the uh the current controversy uh surrounds the fact that the uh n f l has named him an honorary um captain for the upcoming pro Bowl team and a lot of uh vegans primarily white vegans all of the ones that i have seen really out just, you know, uh, um, sort of screaming in anger uh, about this um, um, are are very angry because they are saying that he should not be honored, that, um, you know, he shouldn't be held up uh, um, as any kind of an example. But what, what really disturbed me about the uh, tenor of the current conversation was that um, – Several people. I mean, many people said things like he should be hung, he should be burned, he should
0: uh, be. Okay, so uh, so hung is is not one of them neutral words. No, it's not. Not at all. I mean, Um,
1: you know that he should be burned alive. That he should, you know, he should be killed. Um, uh, uh, I, I mean, some of the really the most vicious things I have ever. Ever heard? And this is about someone who is no longer involved in dog uh, dog fighting, who um, has actively campaigned against the practice, who, by all accounts, has reformed his life. Um, And um, my uh, uh, efforts have been to ask people, where where is this this viciousness and this this um uh vindictiveness and this vengefulness coming from and you know true enough a lot of the things that were done to the dogs uh on his dog titan compound were terrible things but in, re- in, in in reality they were no more terrible than the things that are done to the animals that are raised on factory farms and then uh killed and butchered uh, for human consumption, uh, they're no more terrible than the things that are done to animals that are raised um, uh, to make fur coats and 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 leather goods out of. Um, the, these animals are are routinely routinely tortured and 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 cruel killed in the most brutal uh, and and inhumane ways. and um, the fact is that many of us, when we ate animals um, who are vegan now, um, had a part in, in just this kind of, of cruelty and, and torture and abuse. And, you know, thankfully, we, we have, you know, changed our lives and we've, we've uh, repudiated those actions. And we feel that, you know, we should be allowed that change, that, you know, that we should be forgiven those past sins, if it were, as, as it were, and allowed to move on with our lives. So,
0: well, I'm asked, you know, I mean, ahead, I'm, I'm, think, I'm thinking about you know our mutual friend Josh Lejani, who you know exactly. you, you've seen his story. He puts up slides oh, yeah. of the the hunting and of right. Kim, you know, the deer. And I've never heard anyone say to him or about him as a vegan that you should you know you're damned forever.
1: Exactly. Right. Exactly. So and, even, something- and Josh even talks about the fact that. Dog fighting is a part of Southern culture. And, um, and, and I mean, it's, again, we all, you know, hopefully realize it, it's, it's something that's heinous and shouldn't be done, but nevertheless, if it's something that you have been socialized into thinking was acceptable, it takes a certain level of enlightenment to understand that that isn't the case. And just as, you know, most Americans are socialized into thinking that, you know, eating um, tortured, brutalized, dismembered animals is okay um, until they learn otherwise. It, it 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 doesn't make sense that, you know, it, it, we're going to allow people to, you know, to be excused for the things that they did when they were ignorant on the one hand, but then turn around and, tell, and and look at this black man and say, no, you must be vilified forever, it, unless you understand the history of sort of the racist characterization uh, and treatment of black men within America. And that has been the point that I've been trying to get a lot mm-hmm. of these vegans to, to understand that that white Americans have got to to begin to understand that, you know, the fact that they try to be nice to people of color does not mean that they're not racist or that they don't have racist notions and ideology within them.
0: Right, so um, so for me, like Michael Vick, looking at him and noticing my own reaction, because I definitely had a much more negative reaction to Michael Vick than I did to Josh Lajani. <laughs> Uh-huh. And so for me, that's an opportunity to say what's going on there. Now, you know, exactly. part now, exactly. partly I don't think it's an exact comparison because Josh liked his dogs. Right. And so you you just right. you shared on Facebook a thing about Chinese people cooking and eating right. dogs. And like there's something about dogs that will set people off in a way that deer won't.
1: In American culture.
0: Right. Yeah, right. In, in, in our in my own heart. So like, like mistreating dogs like is feels to me like a worse thing than mistreating a cow or a deer, which which goes to like Melanie Joy's point of, you know, we love dogs, wear cows and eat pigs. So so I'm already guilty of speciesism if I think that right. right? But then if I say, okay, like Josh Lajani is so beautifully repentant and working so hard. But while my, when Michael Vick does the same thing, so there's something about the way I see the black man as opposed to exactly. the white man that is, it's it's not something that I chose. It's not you know I am not a bad person for having thought it, but I have a racist. View that somehow has taken root in my soul, and, and Michael Vick is a great opportunity to notice it, call it out, explore it, and maybe and do something about it. it. And, hopeful, and hopefully exactly, get rid of I, it. Hopefully get rid of
1: it. I was trying to, to to relate this to someone uh, on Facebook by talking about sexism, and what I said to this person is that I did not choose to be sexist. At no point in my life did I say, "You know what? I want to be a sexist asshole." But the fact is that I am a man raised in a profoundly sexist society. And even though I had parents that, you know, taught me from a philosophical standpoint that men and women were equal and that, you know, no man has the right to abuse or mistreat a woman. The fact is that society in a million different other ways taught me the exact opposite that as a man, I had more rights. I had more uh, um, uh, authority, more uh, um, uh, just, you know, uh, right to, to express myself, to, um, to be in a position of leadership than women. And that women were in, again, a number of different subtle ways, less than, less capable, less intelligent. Um, um, that, than men. And whether I like it or not, those ideas were instilled in me. So the issue is what am I going to do about it? Am I going to sit there and pretend they aren't there and deny it and then have women have to suffer because of m- my refusal to come to terms with the bullshit that has been put mm-hmm. inside of me right. by society?
0: And, and the fact that you're a smart, um, wealth-spoken person means that you can make them feel crazy for having thought you were a sexist. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, so I have to take responsibility for the sexism that's within me. And the other thing that I have to take responsibility for is that even though I didn't set up the sexist society, I benefit from it and i need to understand that and recognize it and realize it and 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 do what i can to try and offset that that it's not enough to just say well i didn't make things this way and then just go about enjoying the benefits of you know male privilege i i you know whenever i see women be, being placed at a disadvantage because of their sex it is my duty to call that crap out and to say, you know what? This is sexist and it's wrong. And, you know, I didn't set it up. I didn't, you know, make things the way they are. But nevertheless, I see it and I'm going to call it out because it's not right. It's not fair. Right. But And the same thing is true of racism. That you know, most, you know, I mean, white people who live, Uh, today didn't set up this racist society. They didn't invent these racist tropes and memes that, that, you know, negatively portray African-Americans in ways that, that allow us to be policed more heavily, to be incarcerated, you know, uh, more quickly and for longer periods or to be denied access to the nation's institutions. But nonetheless, those things are real and it is, incumbent upon white people to recognize that and to call that shit out and to say you know what this is not right and i'm not just going to sail through and benefit from it while i see people of color suffering and 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 being denied opportunities that they have a right to just because they aren't white that's not fair and you know and one of the one of the uh, it, it's very interesting because the evolution of the, the, the American attitude towards black people has evolved as the legal status of blacks has evolved in this country. So initially, to justify slavery, blacks were depicted as the sort of um, simple-minded, happy-go-lucky um you know uh physically endowed um, meaning you know uh um very you know uh strong muscular uh um, yeah, per- um, perfect for field individuals work. who needed to be basically controlled by white people because we weren't intelligent enough to control ourselves well, then when you know the civil war happened and slavery ended. There was a provision in the the Thirteenth Amendment that abolished slavery that said that nobody could be forced into involuntary servitude except as a punishment for a crime, committing a crime. And that's when the description and the 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 characterization of black of black men in particular, but black people in general evolved to include the element of Criminality that we were at baseline malevolent and criminal, and um, if we weren 't controlled and policed, we would constantly be uh, committing crimes or or you know uh, uh, raping uh, women or or being stealing and being violent, and that then allowed um, uh, especially in the south southern uh, 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 blacks. To essentially be incarcerated at, at, at huge rates, and then to be used by the state as cheap labor. Right. Um, and 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 then in the 1960s, it, it, it sort of uh, uh, evolved again to include this element of well, they're drug addicts, and um, we have to incarcerate them because if not, they're going all they're going to be doing is out using drugs what's so interesting to me now is when you look at this opioid epidemic that is sweeping the country because it's not new but when you know in the past it primarily uh, impacted and affected people of color and because people of color were kept in these uh, uh economically depressed and uh, circumstances that if they found it very difficult to break out of, and you know when people are in fresh circumstances, they often turn to self medication. Well, when blacks and Hispanics used heroin, it was uh, deemed the result of criminal tendencies, and it was criminalized. So the you know the, the 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 response of society was: you use drugs, you will be punished. Well, now that since then. Uh, uh, 1980s. You've had this situation where the Republicans have essentially taken away all of the inbuilt advantages that were in place to help um, middle-class white Americans succeed, and now white Americans find themselves in situations where, you know, the jobs that they could count on. Um, for economic advancement have been shipped overseas and the, the uh, institutions of higher learning are being priced out of their reach and their kids can't go to college without coming out with a mountain of debt. And even if they do, there are no jobs for them. Suddenly, their children are turning to opiate use. But now, because white Americans always see themselves as good people, it's no longer seen as the result of criminal tendencies, it's an illness. So it's, it's, it's very interesting how the same behavior is rebranded and recharacterized when it's done, you know, within the white community versus within the uh, uh, communities of color, because of this, uh, um, um, Sort of habit and and uh, of characterizing people of color as being criminals and being bad and being inherently defective.
0: Mm-hmm. And what's what's interesting about you know the the causality of your narrative is that it's all based on self interest. That it's like you know slaves were a profitable business, right? Right, and so. Um, you know, servitude, involuntary servitude in our nation's prisons is a is a uh, is a profitable business. Oh, absolutely, and absolutely. So, and so it start. It's almost like it starts with like the racism starts with, hey, how can I make a buck? And, absolutely. Th- and then we need to justify right <laughs> with with these with these stories of of criminality and inferiority. Right, and 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 and
1: so. You know, one of the, and, and one of the, the sort of the classic narrative of the malevolent black male is the big, muscular, uh, dark skinned, um, menacing black man. And Michael Vick is almost the poster child for that. And so that's why when, you know, these white vegans are having these visceral, Uh, reactions to him, with this fury and this anger, despite the fact that this man has reformed his life, I'm like, whoa, 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 you need to stop and look at why you're reacting towards him the way you are. You haven't even challenged yourself to say, what part does the racist ideology that has been instilled in me play in my emotional response to this man? And why am I not willing to allow him the the option of having been reformed or why am i judging him so harshly for his abuse of this particular animal yet giving myself and others a pass for their abuse of
0: those other animals well when so, yeah, yeah. When, yeah. Let, let's talk about another angry black man sure <laughs> which was you in june in front of the, the <laughs> right? You you spoke. Uh, you you gave testimony for the uh, the, the national the, the Dietary.
1: USDA uh, Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee. Yes, sir.
0: Right. So. I watched that video so many times. You know that I memorized the entire thing. <laughs> I, I don't have it at the tip of my tongue anymore, but it was just, it was brilliant. It was brutal. And the two points that you made related to racism was one, the panel was entirely white. And right. There but was enough. One black man. And, and And you used, you know, you couldn't even have have gone for the the optics of tokenism you couldn't have found your ben carson or your right you just right right you couldn't you didn't even you didn't even think to go to the trouble of doing what every company would do in a stock photo good. right and the second was the dairy recommendations which is the the dietary part of it was is that there those are racist recommendations and racist policies that put dairy which um is a poison to most people of African descent as well as most, most other people around the world
1: period, because when you look at the prevalence of, of lactose intolerance, it is it's 95% amongst Asians around 75% amongst African-Americans and native Americans. And the only reason it isn't higher in those groups is because of the um, raping of, you know, uh, African women uh, uh, and and Native American women by Europeans that have caused some mixing in of the genes. And then it's around 53% of Hispanics only versus only about 30% of Caucasian Americans. So that means that you are recommending to people of color food that you know is going to make them sick. And for what reason? For no health benefit whatsoever. That is Quintessentially
0: racist. All right. So, so you gave that testimony, and you know i I was watching it like the first time. I'm watching it, going, "Holy shit, this guy's got balls!" Like I was, <laughs> like, I, you know, I'm fairly conflict averse, and so to imagine myself doing something in front of all those people, saying something so powerfully antithetical to the way they see themselves and to call out the whole process as racist. And you did it vociferously. You did it with, with humor, and but you did it with anger. You weren't pretending to be calm and, uh, you know, un, unemotional about it. And I have heard from people white people, white vegans, so, some of them said that this was, you know, you set back the movement by being so angry. <laughs> and, I, You know, I, I, I didn't even I didn't even defend you. I couldn't like my jaw was too far down on the ground to even, you know.
1: Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. like,
0: um, tell me about your 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 decisions that led up to giving that testimony? Like, was it you like out of control or like, like, you know, black anger is a very scary thing for whites.
1: And, and, and that, that yes, black emotion is, 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 is is most white people find it very, very uncomfortable and very scary, but they don't have the right to deny that to us. And uh, Robin, um, Uh, D'Angelo, who's written uh, several really, really important articles and an amazing book called White Fragility, talks about the fact that white people put this expectation upon people of color that we are required to keep, to make white people feel comfortable. And that if ever and whenever we begin to make the white majority feel uncomfortable that somehow we are perceived as doing something wrong or we are perceived as being out of control. And um, I, I think, you know, the, the, the one thing um, that anyone who would watch that my testimony before the dietary guidelines committee will see was that I, I was absolutely in complete control, but yes, the emotion, uh, um, did come through in what I was saying, and I wanted it to because I wanted people to understand that this, these recommendations have real-world consequences that cause real people to suffer real disease, and that that's not benign, and that is not something that can be discussed politely because it's it's wrong it's it's cruel it's unnecessary and these these diseases and illnesses are being uh uh, um forced upon these people for the sake of of profit um um of a few individuals and that is reprehensible and the bottom line is that i think anybody who um, let's say you um, were in court because you had gone out for Sunday drive with your family and you guys were hit by, you know, um, a a drunken driver who, um, you know, was uh, on his third or fourth DWI, knew that uh, uh, he was drunk when he got behind the wheel and he, he hit your family and killed your child. You might be on the witness stand and speaking in a controlled fashion, but I think everybody knows that the anger and anguish of what you were going through and and were experiencing would come through in your testimony. And it's the same way with with what came through in my dietary guidelines uh, testimony, because as a physician, I see the business end of those Uh, dietary guideline recommendations. I see, as I said, the illness and the sickness that people suffer because of being told to eat uh, products that they should never consume and that are going to uh, make them ill uh, and that they absolutely don't need. And that is just, again, and that the government knows is going to make them ill. And, and that is absolutely unconscionable and reprehensible. And again, I will not be denied my right to be angry about these things. Now, I wasn't throwing things. I, weren't, I wasn't screaming. I wasn't threatening to kill anybody. So it wasn't out of control anger. It was a, it was a very controlled uh, um, testimony, but it was clear that, there was uh, emotion uh, subserving what I was saying.
0: Right now, but that that um, performance goes against our cultural celebration of what a good black man does. Right. So, So. uh, so let me tell you what I learned about good black men from my, my <laughs> education. So, so George Washington Carver, you know, he did something with peanuts that was cool, right? Uh, Jackie Robinson, he just stoically took it, right? Right, and then we right. have, this, and that's
1: what people have come to expect from us.
0: And that, and then what I learned was. That, you know, Rosa Parks and and MLK were total pacifists and they were the good ones. And Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad were the bad ones and right. totally whitewashing MLK's, you know, all, all, everything he said that wasn't, you know, I have a dream. Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And and right. And it it's it's. I, I it's hard for me to even articulate the 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 emotion that I feel when I think that a lot of white people think they have the right to expect us to take abuse and remain these preternaturally calm and serene people. And um, I've, I've, I've come to start telling people that I'm not a magic Negro. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that I am not someone who will sit up and take abuse after abuse and insult after insult and remain this sort of calm, uh, serene, almost, you know, um, uh, uh, semi-divine creature that is impervious to um, um, uh, emotion because that sort of gives people leave to continue the abuse. Mm-hmm. And people need to understand. I mean, human beings are emotional creatures. Emotion, our emotions, are part of who we are, and they're there for a reason because they help us survive. But they also help us to let other people know when something that they're doing is unacceptable. Um, it, it, it's it, it's just as it is like right now we're on the phone, but certainly if some you know drunk or uh you know guy who was like hopped up on meth suddenly came and tried to break into your house and start you know stealing things that he could go and sell i don't think you would sit on the phone and speak to him in a very calm and measured voice and say now sir you know what you're doing is wrong and i don't think you should do that and i would like for you to stop you would quite rightfully react in a very forceful, very emotional way to put a stop to something that was very dangerous and destructive and inappropriate. And, and as African Americans, we have that right. We, it is not fair for white society to try and intimidate us into giving away our right to be angry at being abused and mistreated.
0: All right. And and I think partly, you know, in in your case, um and certainly, you know, with Jackie Robinson and that there's this idea this this white idea of black exceptionalism that right. that allows me oh I, you know, I love Beyonce and Jay-Z and Obama was fantastic. And look, Dr. Milton Mills, he's a doctor. And he's a vegan. <laughs> and there's, you know, there's sort of this like at the same at, at the same time in my mind, you know, because I, I have these strains too. Like I'm not trying to hold myself as as enlightened in any way. I'm simply you know forcing myself to look and and understand what my reactions are saying. But there's something about like, oh, I don't see color that allows oh that, that allows me to secretly be your friend and and be you know racist in in so many other ways,
1: right, right. And and you know, and I, I can't even begin to tell you just how how uh, my mind almost just goes blank when someone says that to me because they they have they don't understand in any way what they're saying. I mean, I've tried to say to my friends when they say, you know, when I see you, I don't see color. And I tell them, well, that's a problem because I'm black and I like being black. (laughs) (laughs) And, and that what you're actually saying to me is that you want me to continue to leave a huge portion of myself outside of our relationship, just to keep you comfortable, as opposed to you doing the work required to get to know the aspects of me that you are unfamiliar with so that you feel comfortable relating to me as the black person that I am.
0: Yeah. Or or that I'm saying that I don't see color because, you know, otherwise you're you're basically just like a white person.
1: Right. 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 I can be comfortable well, yeah, in your presence. Not, right. Yes. Exactly. And 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 I think the the thing, the hurdle that we all have to get over is the realization that because you may have racist ideas and attitudes and notions that have been instilled in you through no fault of your own does not make you a bad person. Yes, those notions, those ideas, those you know images and attitudes are bad, but you didn't go out you know, um, at school and look at a uh, smorgasbord of ideas about people and say, Okay, I'm going to pick this one. and I'm going to pick that one. And I'm going." No, these things will put in inside you. So that's not that part is not your fault. But and, and the fact that they're there doesn't necessarily make you a bad person unless you decide to embrace them, or unless you refuse to do the work necessary to get rid of them. Um, and and having racist notions doesn't make you a racist unless and until you decide to embrace those things and hold on to them. Just like, you know, fortunately, uh, in college, I had some wonderful female friends who, when I had the idea that I was not sexist, opened my eyes way <laughs> I mean, open them with toothpicks, <laughs> and and I was like, "No, you have a lot of sexist ideas about how things should be or the way things work, mm-hmm. and you need to stop and think about those things."
0: But here's and here's the thing: I've had a lot of those conversations too with with lots of different groups because you know. Um, I'm I'm on the top of a lot of hierarchies, right, because because of my, you know, sexual orientation, gender, race. Um, And what I've discovered, and it took me a long time to realize this, is when somebody takes the time to call me out on whatever incorrect notion of that that my privilege has blinded me to, they are actually paying me a compliment. Because there are people, there, there are people that they wouldn't fucking bother with. <laughs> you are
1: absolutely right, man. People that you, I wouldn't waste my time because I, kn- I know, I know there's no point. And and you're right. It's because people love you and think so highly of you and know your heart that they're like, hey, man, I need you to look at this or think about this differently because I know once you actually see it. The way it is, you'll get it, and you'll and you'll you'll see things differently. You're absolutely right. That that that's a that's an incredible. That is a very very strong compliment. You're you're absolutely right.
0: right. And what and one of the things that I've gotten, I think I mentioned to you this uh, the author um, Ibram Kendi, whose uh-huh. whose work I am I'm am devouring right now is you know the like. The, he comes up with a very functional working definition of racism, which is anything that leads to unequal treatment, unequal outcomes. So it's, you know, ideas and policies as opposed to, and he's not really into like this implicit bias stuff and institutional racism. Just, those are Those are ways in which it can hide and metastasize and nobody sees it. But mm-hmm. like, so it's like, you're not a racist, but this is a racist idea that you hold or this is a racist policy right. that you're benefiting from and not making waves about and so like right. at a certain point i have to say either you know if the outcomes for african americans and whites or for men and women or transgendered and cis people are different then either there is something racist going on or there's something wrong, something inferior about the group that isn't succeeding.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because there can't be any two ways about it. And 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 you can't just not think about it or just say, well, I'm not going to. I mean, when you see the fact that black men are nine times more likely to be killed by white cops than white men, you can't just say, oh, that's too bad and move the fuck on. You got to say, what the hell is wrong? What is going on? And why does that happen? But it's not just why is that cop evil or why is that cop bad? You have to, as a white person, you have to say, wait a minute, what is it about the way white people view black people that allowed that white cop to do that? When you hear about some woman calling the police on black people, you know, checking into a fucking Airbnb It's not enough just to condemn, you know, barbecue Betty or whatever they're going to call this woman at this time. You got to ask yourself, you know, do I do similar things? Do I, you know, clutch my purse when I see a black man walking towards me? Do I feel uncomfortable if I'm the only white person, you know, uh, 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 with a a group of people of color? I mean, these are all uh, opportunities, as you said, for self-reflection and self-examination to try and, and, and get at what we all carry within us. And, but, but it's got to start with the realization that that the shit is there, and it's time to stop denying it's there. The issue is, how do you get at it? How do you get rid of it? Um, and, that, and, that, and understanding that because it's there, it doesn't mean that you are a bad person. It just means you grew up in a bad place, right. which is called America. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. And, and, you know, we, you, we, we didn't want to talk about, um, you know, Trump and Trumpism and the larger political issue, but I, I would like to say that, like, the, 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 the idea is that, well, racism benefits white people. Right. Right. And the truth is, I don't think racism benefits most white people it benefits them compared to black people, but it doesn't benefit them compared to the people in power who are really benefiting from the racism. You know, the kind of the one the, percent the who have everyone fighting over scraps.
1: Right. right. No, you you're you're right. And and it's the perception that is going to benefit them, which is why so many poor and middle-class whites hold on to it uh, and buy into it and that has been the great uh, sort of m- a magic trick of the wealthy one percent was to convince the you know uh, poor and working-class whites that that their racism was going to give them something substantial vis-a-vis these other people such that they're willing to literally forsake their own good to hold on to just what are literally ashes. I mean, th- there are farmers in the in the Midwest who whose you know uh, um, export markets have been eviscerated by Trump, absolutely devastated, and they're still planning to vote for him. You know. For what reason? Well, you know, he's going to build that wall.
0: Well, it's a, uh, I mean, I think it's identity. Right? Like, at least I'm better than somebody.
1: Exactly. Right. right. And, and it's just, and it's a sickness. It is, it is really a sickness that is threatening now to truly destroy this country. Okay. Um, because, um our, our, our democratic institutions are absolutely at stake right
0: now. Uh, yep. So I want I want to bring it back to the plant based movement. Sure. Um, so, you know, there a, a word that I did not understand until very recently was an intersectionality. Right. This this idea that uh-huh. that oppressions compound and that.
1: And they're on a spectrum. Yes.
0: And, and and they're on a spectrum and that we can all be oppressed in one dimension and oppressive in another dimension. And that the, you know, the, the aim is sort of liberation for all. Um, right. And so so there's a couple of things. One, one is that the animal rights and vegan and plant-based movements is one of the few that takes this beyond just the human. And it feels like there's there is a way in which um, white vegans can be insensitive to African-American history and, and concerns, whether it's comparing animal suffering to slavery or like what's how can how can how can we do a better job of articulating our beliefs that are that are heartfelt and that that come with sincere emotion without. Um, creating these fractions?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, number one, I think that there, that you have to use some effing common sense. uh, (laughs) Number one. And and what do I mean by that? Well, I have have Jewish friends and Alex Hirsch, and I don't know Alex Hirsch personally, but I've read some of his, his, his works and he compares what we do to animals with um, factory farming and, and agribusiness to the Holocaust. And I absolutely see the parallels and the comparisons and the similarities. And I completely get what he is saying. And and I think that the comparisons that he is making are valid. However, that is never a comparison that I would make. Right. And the closest I would ever come would be to say that Alex Hershaft, who is a Holocaust survivor, has made this parallel. Simply because I've, I've got enough sense to know that the optics of me as a non-Jewish person trying to make that parallel won't work. Because it, it it there there's too much emotion there and there's too much of an opportunity for my words to be missed um misapprehended as denigrating the lives of the people who lost their lives in in the Holocaust. Okay, so that's that, that comparison is off limits to me. And and the same thing is true of the Slavely comparison. I, I think that in many ways it is an apt comparison. But it's not one any white person should be trying to make. Because it it is oh my god, it just looks completely wrong. And and it and 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 there it 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 it, it, it just won't work coming out of a white person's mouth. Now, again, a white person might be able to quote Say me or some other person of color who has made the comparison, but it is is not something that that a non a non, uh, a non uh, um, person of color should 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 be making, a comparison they should be making just because it because of who we are as human beings it won't work. Um, and uh, but. It, it, but, but, and along those lines we also the other thing is that 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 we have to understand is that different that people from different cultural backgrounds have been sensitized to different things and the the like for instance a lot of 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 uh white vegans are um uh, motivated. Very, very strongly and powerfully by the issue of animal rights and animal justice. Now, there are a lot of there are there are also a lot of of, of black and vegans and, and vegans of of other ethnicities that are also equally and uh, strongly motivated by that, but not all. And I have I have I have seen and read posts. Um, and I've heard people want to attack people who weren't as moved or motivated by um, the issues of animal rights as they were. And, and that is just not productive. It is not a way that we are going to enlarge our tent. We've got to meet people where they are. And if the point is, if, if, if someone is more motivated because of an issue of health, then that's where we meet them is, is, is talking about their health, because the bottom line is this: as as uh, um, uh, the the 300 uh, pound vegan. Um, um, last name is Carter. Oh, come on.
0: Oh, uh, Dave Carter.
1: David Carter, thank you. Uh David Carter said something I I, I always quote and never forget. He said, animals don't care why you stop eating them as long as you stop. And the fact of the matter is that if people stop eating animals because they realize it's better for their health, that will free them up philosophically and ethically to see the moral aspects to being vegan. Because once you no longer eat animals, then you don't have to do all of the ethical machinations that we as humans do to justify uh, killing and eating them. You know, saying that they don't have feelings, or their mm-hmm. feelings or their emotions aren't as as uh, um, real or as valid as ours. Yeah, it's a um, it's a pity.
0: It's a pity you can go vegan on your own, but you can't like reverse institutional racism on your own like oh the, you know like as long as as long as I stop benefiting from racism, then I don't have to hold these beliefs anymore,
1: <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth yeah isn't that the truth
0: but' sorry you were you were saying
1: no 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 it, no that that's a that's a that's a very good uh very and very interesting point I'll have to get some thought to that so um so i i think we you know we got we have to learn to be a lot less judgmental a lot less self-righteous and um and understand that we have to enlarge our viewpoint um, and realize that people from different backgrounds have different attitudes about you know animals or different kinds of animals and that does not make them you know an evil or uh, 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 degenerate person because they don't see things the way we do as someone said you know you can't condemn me because my sins are not your sins you know we each have our issues and our goal should be to help each other get over whatever issues we are struggling with not sit there and point the finger and say well you know, um, I'm not, you know, uh, whatever, and so that makes me better than you. No, it doesn't. It just makes me different.
0: Right. So, um, how can uh, vegans, white vegans, be allies? Well, I, the the the
1: the the first and foremost thing is that white vegans have got and white people in general have got to get out of denial about the racist crap that they carry within them and realize that just because of the fact that they were raised in this profoundly racist society, that number one, they have benefited from racism and that they have absorbed these racist ideas and notions, you know, unconsciously. And they're there. And if they haven't done the work to actually examine themselves and, <clears throat> and sort of challenge themselves about these ideas and notions, then those those things are going to be there and they're going to color their attitude towards uh, uh, other people, particularly people of color and the decisions and uh, that they make about these people and the feelings that they have both about, people of color and about things they see people of color doing. And so they've got to come to that realization and then start doing that work of self-examination. And, and, and then they have to do the kinds of things that you're doing, reading books that help them gain that kind of perspective that, quite frankly, it's very difficult for white people to get when you are in a society that has been set up for you. Um you have to um, uh, um, read books like the uh, uh, the one you were saying by Ibram or the book that I was uh, referring to um, uh, um, white fragility, white fragility. Um, there 's another great book called the uh, Black Image in the White Mind uh, that talks about this history of mischaracterizing. Uh, African-Americans and other people of color to justify the mistreatment society has historically heaped upon us. Because until people start to, to really see those things, they won't see how they are playing a part in the oppression and ongoing abuse that people of color have to deal with every day.
0: Right. And I just I just um, Google that. So it's by George M. Frederickson. Yes, so I, I
1: mean, it, it. You know what was so interesting was that um, I don't know if, if you saw there was uh, a couple of postings uh, the other day that Michael Bloomberg, when referring to, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know where I'm going to <laughs> Cory Booker, said he's so well spoken. I'm like, right.
0: what the fuck? Right, and it's 2019. Are you serious? Right. Really? Blackface is not an OK thing anymore. I, I missed the memo. He's but, so well spoken. But here's but here's wow. the thing. Here's the thing I think like I would like to to say to people who, who like me are striving to be allies is so like celebrate when you discover your racism.
1: Right, because like, then you can get rid of it.
0: Like, oh wow, I see something I didn't see before. Like that's exactly. an, that's an exciting. Mo- like the moment you realized that eating animals was not cool, you hadn't. You you were still eating animals. You, right? And then you right. made, you made the change, and so Absolutely. To, and so to celebrate when you discover this part of yourself, it's like, oh, they, you know, like, you go for a, a screening and like, oh, they found the tumor. Now they're going to take it out. Thank exactly, God. Thank, man. Thank God they, exactly, man. Thank God they screened for it.
1: Right. That's absolutely right. It's like, I see something I didn't see before. I can get rid of this shit. Um. I can, you know, I, it, it's like, you're right, because it is liberating in a lot of ways. And it's like, I mean, when I, when I started to, to realize that a lot of my female uh, physician colleagues were being placed at such a severe disadvantage just because of the fact that they were women, because a lot of the residency programs didn't want to pick them because the residency directors were afraid they were gonna get pregnant and, and that they would then need time off for of maternity leave. And, and so, you know, from the residency director's standpoint, they were only looking at, well, we need to be able to guarantee that we're going to have, you know, um, uh, um, full, uh, um, basically, uh, um, uh, um, you know, bodies, a, a, a certain number of bodies to fill all of these slots throughout our residency program, um, and, for that reason, we tend to, uh, um, uh, you know, gravitate towards 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 uh, uh, male uh, colleagues. Well, you know, and then some people will say, okay, well, I can see their point, except that it's like, no, no, no. Who the fuck says that you have to set up a residency program so that it's impossible to take time off? I mean, it's like that whole idea in and of itself is sexist and stems from a time when it was all male, and the assumption was that these male residents were going to have women at home who were combination sex slaves, cooks, you know, maids, and, and, and errand boys, uh, you know, doing everything for them. And that all they had to do was come to the hospital and just live there. And it's like it's time to even rethink how we even structure our residency programs because they're so hostile to, to women. Right, and, you and, know, you don't just look at the system as it is and say, "Well, you know, it is what it is." Hell no! It's time to say this is a patriarchal system
0: that needs to be reached, you know, rethink, rethought, and restructured. Right, and not just for the women who want to become doctors, but for everyone who is going to benefit from a, exactly. more, a more diverse uh, workforce with more qualified people in it.
1: Right, because also. Hell, men should be able to take time off to spend with their new babies and new children and bond with them. I mean, that's the whole point, that that when you do this, when you make these kind of changes, it benefits everybody. No, that's absolutely right. All
0: right. All right so, so we can stop being in denial and we can use things like, you know, like, Michael Vick, for like for somebody, Michael Vick was a wake-up call to their racism. for For most people, myself included, Michael Vick and you were the wake-up call, right? So to be willing to be in conversation with people who have different perspectives and who might be able to see your blind spots. Thank you. And to
1: realize that Basically, when it comes to racism, black people are the fucking experts and that you need to listen to us that, you know, I don't get up in the morning and say to myself, how can I just piss white people off or how can I just make shit up? Nor do
0: do you wake up, (laughs) nor do you wake up and say, I'm not going to think about racism today. Right. I don't have a choice.
1: So if I am going through the effort of trying to point something out to you, it's, you know, given my accomplishments, given my intellect, it's generally because there's something there and you should give me the respect to say nothing of the courtesy of at least contemplating and thinking about what I'm trying to open your eyes to instead of just you know, blowing me off and telling me, um, like I've been told, Oh, you need counseling. Oh, you have anger issues. Oh, uh, you know, you're fucked up. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, man, I, it's like, I, I get, I get to show you all these folks. It's like, I'm like, wow, really? This is where you're going with this. Like, you know, when it comes to metaphorical distance traveled in this country, I'm the one that's done all of the traveling, but but I'm the one that's fucked up and doesn't know his, you know, we're in from a hole in the ground. Okay. Gotcha.
0: Right. So where, where do we, where do we go from here? Do you think, I mean, well, you know, like the, the, I'm like one of the most interesting things I'm seeing is, and and it's what I'm seeing. I don't know if it's, new or if i'm just seeing it is a huge african american vegan contingent um right it's still it's still like when when i when we go to veg fests, depending on right. where, like like the one we went to in the triangle it was like wow look at like this is a right. diverse group like not just presenters but, but people off the streets like wow but um you know, where, what, what does African-American plant-based vegan and slash veganism look like? Um, And how, you know, and how can we, how can we all play together? Sure. I, I, I think
1: that, um, uh, I mean, actually some of the most interesting, I think sort of intellectual, uh, um, work in this area, particularly within the subject of intersectionality, looking at the connections between animal welfare, welfare and human welfare and, and how it intersects with, you know, racism, sexism and so forth is being done by, uh, some really brilliant black women, um, who, um, are, 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 um, writing on this topic. Um, and, um, there's, there's, um, um, uh, Afco um, spells her first name A P H, um, and I think her last name is, is K O. There's there's uh, Brenda Sanders. There's Omawale uh A D E W A L E is working on. Uh, uh, he he uh, runs the um, Black Best uh, Fest in Brooklyn, and he's done some writing on Amawali done uh, some really brilliant writing on this topic, and he's working on a book in this regard. So there there are some really, really brilliant uh, young African-American authors who are who are writing and, and exploring this topic intellectually. And 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 and, and as I said, just um, doing just brilliant, interesting, mind opening work. Um,
0: Ooh, I'm going to I'm going to look him up for the podcast.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. He would be a wonderful person for you to have on your podcast. Great. Um, and, um, and so, you know, we, we have to talk to each other, but most importantly, be willing to listen to each other and to step out of our respective comfort zones. And, and just really importantly, I mean, to, to, because, and, and, and I'm going to have to say the onus is really going to be mainly on white people. And some of your listeners might say, Hey, wait a minute, that sounds unfair. Except what they don't understand is that for African Americans and other people of color, we already have done a lot of distance traveling just to be successful in this country. In other words, you cannot be a successful person of color without understanding white culture and white attitudes and white sort of uh, um, uh, positions about things. So we've already sort of traveled a lot of that distance towards you which is why most white people find it comfortable to deal with us so now it's time for the reverse to happen for the you know um our, our white brothers and sisters to make the 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 effort to move towards us and understand us and listen to us and especially listen and realize that you know, we're not just making shit up. We're not just saying things to to make you uncomfortable or um, uh, to just, you know, take a swipe at you that if we are trying to to bring raise your consciousness about something, if there's something of value and validity there and you need to wrestle with it until you begin to understand it.
0: Beautiful. Well, um, I've taken a lot of your time. Um, I think I want to, I want to, I want to wrap this up by just thanking you first of all, for, for your advocacy, um, on, on all these fronts for your, your friendship with me and your, your willingness to, to point out things that have been my blind spots. And, uh, I hope this uh, this conversation will challenge people, and I hope when people feel challenged by it, they will take some deep breaths and look for growth, as opposed to uh, you know trying trying to uh, you know get their uh, emotional immune system to to reject the the new material.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Howard. And man, you know, I want to I want to say just to give a shout out to Josh um, because. Josh more than 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 he knows has affected me in in such just a beautiful way because of his his honesty and his his just his the depth of his his character and who he is and his honesty about who he was before he became vegan and and how his ideas and attitudes and outlook on life have, have broadened and, and changed. And I tell you, man, knowing him has made me so hopeful and, and shown me that, you know, things i thought might not be possible really are possible. And I, I, it's like his friendship is a, is a, is a, is a God. Yes. Testament.
0: Yes. And, and, um, I'll respond the way I think he would respond is he's nothing special, which is a good thing because it means all of us have that capacity to change. Right. Whether it's Josh or Michael Vick or any of us. right? But let's let's, exactly. let's 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 look for and celebrate the progress and the good and the heart and the honesty. And-, and
1: figure out how we can help each other reach that change and reach our potential as people and realize that you know none of us Spraying as fully formed vegans from our mother's womb, it was all—it was all a process of learning and development and consciousness raising. And as opposed to condemning and vilifying each other, you know, we should be trying to sort of enlighten and encourage and bring each other along, because um, we'll, we'll we'll get a lot farther, a lot faster with a lot more people if we do it that way.
0: Amen. Amen. Milton, Dr. Milton Mills, thank you so much for everything and for chatting today.
1: Um, Howard, I love talking to you, man. It's always just a beautiful intellectual uh, delight. So thank you.
0: Right on. Talk to you later. All right. Thanks for listening. That was amazing. Was it not intense, passionate, well-argued, and difficult? Difficult for me. Um, I'm imagining difficult for some of you listening out there and so important. I really want to urge you to go to the show notes, which is plantyourself.com slash 357 and start following some of the links. I have a whole bunch of links to the black activists, the black vegan activists that Dr. Mills talked about, to some of the books, to the videos, both his testimony and our panel discussion on racism at the Triangle Veg Fest. Let's educate ourselves. And to the listeners who are already educated on this, because you've done the work or because you you are from these communities of color, communities that have been marginalized and trivialized. Um, So first of all, my apologies for the lateness to the game that I come and my humble request that you continue to teach me and help me grow my own potential as a human being. So if you got something out of this podcast and you appreciate the show, there's a bunch of ways to uh, karmically pay it back. One is just to pay it forward. Let other people know. Post this or other episodes in social media. Let people know. Email them about it. Send people to plantyourself.com slash 357 so they can listen and watch for themselves. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That helps a lot more than you'd think, and it takes zero money and very little time. And of course, you can become a supporter, a financial supporter of the show over at Patreon.com. Just search for Plant Yourself, and that allows uh, you to make a monthly ongoing contribution, which allows me to know what kind of funding I can expect so that I can devote the appropriate amount of time to growing this podcast, making it bigger, better, more powerful, more informative, more influential, and to continue this mission out into the world. I've got some good episodes coming up for the first part of 2020. Just finished an interview with Jim Loomis, M.D., who is the medical director of the Barnard Medical Center in Washington, D.C., as in Neil Barnard of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, PCRM. Jim was also featured in the Game Changers movie. If you listen to my interview with James Wilkes from a couple weeks ago, you'll know the Game Changers. Jim is not only a great medical doctor and researcher, he is a wonderful speaker. He's got zingers, one-liners, perspectives, and he's also a competitive triathlete. So fun conversation, and I hope you'll enjoy that as well. Also in the can is a conversation with my teacher, Sean D'Souza, who is not plant-based. Well, he's become vegetarian, um, but he is a teacher of how to learn and how to grow. He is probably one of the biggest influences on me in terms of my business and how I think about it and how I produce content So there's there's something for everyone in that conversation. I also have just gotten a couple of interviews scheduled that we haven't had yet. And I just kind of want to brag about them. One is with Michael Greger, the author of How Not to Diet, the new book on weight loss that we're going to be talking about. And that should should be coming out in February. And also a conversation with Mike Kaplan. That's M-Y-Q Kaplan. He is a vegan comedian, and he is hilarious. So look him up on Spotify or YouTube um, in preparation for our conversation. Also conversations coming up with Justin Luria, who uh, has really interesting perspectives on the New Age and spiritual movements, what is kosher, what is unkosher, and how we can navigate in this world. Also, Todd Herman is going to be on the podcast. He is the author of the wonderful book, The Alter Ego Effect. You might have heard him on Rich Roll. If not, go listen to that in preparation for our conversation. And Shane Williams, a Canadian plant-based cardiologist, will be speaking with me. Um, also, that will come out in uh, sometime in February. In garden news, we cleared up the last sweet potato bed now that all the sweet potatoes are gone and are going to be planting it in clover cover crop in preparation for next season. In running news, been doing more ultimate frisbee. Now that the holidays are here, there's games when other people usually are working. So that's how I'm getting my steps in these days. Alright, let's talk about thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use Sabali Dawn the Dance of Peace as the theme music for this show. Check out willreidenauer.com for more of his beautiful chora music. And of course, thanks to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons, here we go. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Morrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hadley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Blokhanovsky, David Vizek, the, the Mysterious Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colling Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rolnick, Sarah Durkis, oh, I forgot Stu Dolnik, sorry, Sue. Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Sam Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gil Assert, David Donahue, Blair Cyborg, Doro Novizo, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesener, Ruth Ann Thunderbrook, Michael Warbeck, Lee Equally, Mysterious, Tracy Z, Alicia Lemmis, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, which rhymes with cinemas. Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergen, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, Scruble, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovac, Adam Sharf, Karen Berry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, Kelly Machia, Diane Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kersal, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Coble, Shell Rudlitz, Julian Watkins, Brito, O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rosland, Ayat, Julie Lang, Home Headed Guard, Isuzu Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Avi Valero, Heather Connor, Carolyn Jen- Jensen. Sherry Orlikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divott, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Deb Casia, Emily Akinelli, Levi Wallach, Rosewin McAtee, Dan Bacorny, Stephen and Patty Martino, Mike and Donna Carts. Diane Bishop, Bill Bury Elf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshaw, Gunnar Hagen, Hagan, Tracy Gullers, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Joan Borstein, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael K, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire Inglis, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganshi, Amy Daly, and maybe you one day for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, that's it for this year, too. As always, be well, my friends. So if you appreciate the Plant Yourself podcast and would like to help support the mission of the show, there's a few easy ways to do it. One is to just go to wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Let other people know about it. Give us some stars. Give us some love. And that really helps us be found by more people. Something else, of course, you can do is let someone know about this podcast, someone uh, who you think would benefit. Send them maybe a couple of episodes that you think would uh, pique their interest or just uh, ask them to subscribe in general. And third, you can join arms and become a patron, a financial supporter of this show. You may have noticed that there's no advertising in the show and it's free for everyone and it's supported, paid for by those who can afford it. So if you would like to make a one-time contribution or an ongoing monthly pledge, you can do so at plantyourself.com gift. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hathaway, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filikonofsky, David Bysak, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Air Adams, Frank Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gail Assert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Toronto Viso, Gio and Carol Argetati, Jody Friesner with Anne Michelle Rosen, Michael Warbeck... The Equally Mysterious, Tracy Z, Aviva L- Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harperson, Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda, Ian, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Dean Norton, Bonnie Lynch, The Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Colm Hedegaard, Issa Wakani Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis... Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski, of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Liz Rothschild, and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine for Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Lena Lundquist, Valerie Humble, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamond McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Lennon... Teddy D. Martino, Mike and Donna Carson, Diane Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Baishore, Gun Marie Hagan, Tracy Gullish, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parm Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Alison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owens, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends.